Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn with me to the book of Ezra. While you're taking your Bible and turning there, also turn over to Psalm 85 for just a few moments. I want to draw your attention to these two portions of Scripture, and we may look at a couple of others this evening. There's so much running through my mind right now as we consider the subject of revival. Uh, Many of you know we have talked about this before, but revival is one of those things that is talked about often, but truly it's not sought after very much. Uh, Because when you begin to start dealing with the subject matter of revival, revival is a fun thing to talk about, isn't it? Uh, It's something that's fun to kind of imagine, man, what could God really do? But then as the Lord begins to deal with uh, him doing a work within our lives, that means that there's some sin that has to be addressed. Uh, There's some situations that need to be changed. There's some uh, things that might be addressed within the word of God that the Lord says, hey, you need to park right here within your own life and deal with these things. And all of a sudden, all of the, the talk of revival and the excitement of talking about it and the change of revival taking place within our lives doesn't become as appealing as it once was. You want to know why that is? The reason that is is because at the core of every single one of us, we're a prideful, sinful people. And when our sin is addressed, we get offended by that. And we don't get offended oftentimes in the sense of, Lord, I can't believe that you have dealt with this in the sense of, Lord, I'm offended at myself. But we get offended that the Lord would even bring it up and address it. In our evening school, the Bible, just last night, we were talking for just a few moments. And as you begin to study the end times and as days are going to wax worse and worse, you're going to begin to see a lot more preaching that has no doctrine to it. You're going to see a lot of uh, heresy that is entering in the churches. You're going to be a lot uh, confused by certain things, as far as the world will be at least. And you begin to see things and you'll begin to scratch your head and say, how is that being praised? And just the other day, there was a... A clip that was circulating all over, uh, I mean, even news networks were covering this because many things that, that, that even people don't necessarily agree with Christians on, they know where Christians stand oftentimes. And there was a preacher, if you call him that, that was standing up and he was talking and he was beginning to deal with the, the, the homosexuality and, and all of the transgender movement and all of those many things. And He was talking about this for just a few moments, and as he was talking about it, he made this statement. He said, if I were there when God was writing the Word of God and dealing with these things, I would have made some suggestions to him. That, that, Lord, maybe this could be uh, allowed, and maybe this could be allowed. Maybe there could be more than just two genders. And we, we know where we stand on the Word of God and what the Word of God has to say about this. But the saddest reality of, of it is this, that this gentleman has a large following. And behind the preacher as he was standing up there, all you heard was clapping. Why? Because we are living in a world that has forsaken holiness because we have adapted slowly to sinfulness. We don't blush anymore. Look, when, when, when you begin to discuss certain subject matters and you begin to discuss the lyrics of certain songwriters or movies that are being put out or TV shows that are very popular, one of the saddest things is that you don't see Christians blushing anymore unless it comes out that they watch those things or that they listen to those things. You see, we are a people in our nation, many Christians, where we love coming to the house of God, but we hate truly living what the Word of God says the way to live. 
You go to Psalm 85 for just a moment. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number seven. As you, I mean, verse number six, as you continue walking down, Psalm 85 is very powerful. But notice what he says right in the middle of it. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And it's one thing to ask that question. It's another thing to understand what goes into a revived person beginning to deal with their sin and the Lord dealing with everything within their lives. You see, right this very moment, if we were all, myself included, to hand the Lord a blank piece of paper and say, Lord, write every single one of our sins down so we can deal with them, I believe we would be shocked by how much we sin. And as we get that piece of paper back, I believe that if we're not careful, we would make many excuses as to why we don't really think that's a sin. Well, Lord, I, that, that's not, I mean, I, I know it's there, but that's not, that's not really that big of a deal. And by living that way, we live our lives in such a way where we are setting ourselves up for failure in the Christian life every single day. And so we come to a revival meeting, and I'm excited about this revival meeting, but let me, I've said it time and time again, and I truly believe this. This is just a meeting unless God meets with us. We're going to set some time aside. We're going to show up at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening, 7 o'clock on a, Sunday, on a Monday and on Tuesday. And we're going to come into the house of God. We're going to listen to great preaching and great music being sung. We're going to testify. We're going to have a great time together. And that is a wonderful thing. But what happens on Wednesday or two weeks from now? You see, a revived person begins to acknowledge some things, and true revival takes place. And oftentimes when someone is revived, they don't even realize that they're just falling back in love with the Lord himself. Go with me to the book of Ezra for just a few moments, because tonight I want to draw your attention to some things that I believe that we see in the book of Ezra that is a prescription for preparing our hearts to receive something great that the Lord desires to send to us. You see, if revival were to take place in every single one of our lives, I believe that revival would move us to be a people that pray. Not just discuss prayer, but truly pray. Not just say we're going to pray for our food, but truly pray. Not just a people that say, hey, we pray when we go to sleep, but truly be in a spirit of prayer as the word of God deals with. I believe that if we were to be a revived people, that the Lord would move us to live pure, and that we, as we are living pure, we would make some decisions and say, I'm going to do this. This is out of my comfort zone, but this is what the word of God says, and I'm going to try to live the way the Lord desires for me to live. That means my communication will no longer be filthy. That means my eyes will no longer look at things. That means my ears will no longer listen to the things of this world and the conversations that are taking place at work and actually enjoy those things anymore. Lord, I'm going to sanctify myself unto you. Lord, I'm going to come to you in earnest prayer and beg of you to deal with me. I believe that if we were to be a revived people, we wouldn't just be moved to pray and be a people that would say, Lord, help me to be pure in our living. But I believe we'd get in on the work of God that is taking place. You know, we are, look, there is a, it takes no effort to be a critical person. It takes no effort. If I were to walk through this building right this very moment, I could point out all of the many imperfections and be critical about all of them. But you know what? I don't care about those imperfections. Here's why. Because I don't think about Gateway Baptist Church and I walk through the building and say, oh, yeah, there's, there's so much. No, you know what? When I think about Gateway Baptist Church, I think about the soul that was saved two weeks ago that somebody's been praying for for years. 
I think about the child that's life has been changed because they've been coming to the house of God with their family for the last couple of months. I think about the marriages that are being put back together. I think about all of the work that God is doing in this place. And as we begin to gather together, I don't try to be a critical person and criticize all of the things that I get annoyed with. But I come and I say, Lord, remove all those distractions. Just deal with me. I believe we get involved with some things. You know, one of the reasons that many people, there was a study done by Ken Ham. Uh, this was probably five or six years ago. And the top three responses that were given as to why people don't get involved in their church. The first one was because people are hypocrites. Can I share with you? We're all hypocrites. The second one that was, was given was this. That they don't take my advice. Both those answers seem pretty prideful to me. As I read that, I was thinking, what in the world? But we're all guilty of it. Lord, I'm not going to serve you. Why? Because of them. You know what takes place in the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is doing a great work for the Lord, and all of a sudden, Sanballat and Tobias come on the stage. They say, hey, we'd like to have a word with you. Nehemiah looks at him and says, why should I come down to you? Why, why should I give you any time of day? I'm doing a great work. Why should the work cease while I come down to you and have a conversation? You see, the greatest thing about getting in, involved in the work of God is not the work of God itself. It's who we're laboring for. It's not about being who's noticed. It's not about being who's seen. It's not about any of that. It's about the work of God. When people begin to talk about Gateway Baptist Church in the last year and everything that has taken place, they don't specifically say someone's name. They say, do you see what God is doing at Gateway Baptist Church? Because it's not about any one person. It's about the God that is doing a work in this place. You see, as you come and you begin to realize revival taking place, I believe it gives us a confidence to move forward. Because revival, when revival takes place, it is a recognition of who God is, and it's a recognition that he's not finished with us yet. You begin to think about this for just a few moments. Over the last year, if you were to go back and you were to say, how many times have I failed God, and he still wants to revive me and use me? It'll humble you. You'll begin to realize just how unworthy you are and just how wonderful he is. The book of Ezra, as you go there, look with me for just a few moments in Ezra chapter number 7 for a few minutes. And as we come to this book of the Bible, a lot taking place. And I love chapter number 7. We have been dealing with this verse for the last couple of weeks in our Sunday school class, and, and I just cannot get away from it. Because I've been reminded that for many of us, we love to talk about revival. And we love to discuss it. We love to think about it. We love to, you know, have conversations about what it would be like and this and that. And we like to even talk about the revival meetings of past and revivals that have taken place in this nation and all across this world. But we fail to recognize the process of preparation within our lives and being able to truly experience revival. And so as you come to the book of Ezra for just a few moments, notice what the Bible says in verse number 10. Because over the next couple of days, I want you to think on these words. I want you to come back to this book of the Bible. And I just want you to read this verse over and over and over again and spend time laboring in prayer. Notice what he says. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it 
and to teach in Israel's statutes and judgments. Revival has been described in many ways. But true revival taking place, you can define it however you want to, but one of the things you'll begin to see when a person has experienced revival in their own life is that they're falling back in love with the Lord. You think about athletes, you think about any musician, you think about uh, historians, and you begin to think about times whenever they get into a rut, and they'll oftentimes begin to talk about that rut and how they got themselves out of that rut. And, And you'll hear somewhere along the way that they fell back in love with the game, they fell back in love with music, they started to go back to why they were doing that, and they fell back in love with that, whatever it was. We have to ask ourselves why do we go about our days? You say, well, I mean, I just wake up and, you know, it's another day that's got to be lived out, so I just go about living it. No. Every single day that we live is an opportunity for us to magnify the Savior within our lives and testify of His goodness. Why do we go about our days? It's not because of us. It's not because we just give it another day. No, it's all for Him. And so you go back to falling back in love with him and the reason that you're doing this. Notice just a few things in Ezra chapter number 7, verse number 10. I'm going to give you four P's, if you would, that you find in this verse right here. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Notice with me, number one, we see the priority here. You see, that word prepared means that Ezra had made it a priority that he was not just going to go through the motions, but that he wanted to truly see God do something. So he was prioritizing the preparation within his life. Truth of the matter is, over the next couple of days, we have a lot of decisions to make. But what's priority? Where does the Lord fall in those decisions? Where does the Lord fall into you living your life and going about your days? Where does this revival meeting fall into place? Where does the word of God fall into place? Where does prayer fall into place? Where does everything spiritual fall into place? Because here in a few moments, you're going to see that the spiritual matters more and the eternal matters more than the temporal. Always will. It always will. And as you walk through the Word of God, you'll see, especially in this verse right here, that it was not just something that was talked about, but it was a priority in Ezra's life. Because as you read through in its entirety, verse number 10, that priority is something that he is making himself ready for. Prepared means to make ready for, if you would. You go to somebody's house. They have you over for dinner. You say, what's for dinner? And they have prepared something. What they have prepared for you is something that you are going to take joy in. That you're going to to eat. That you're going to sit around a table and enjoy together. And one of the things you'll begin to realize is this preparation process that takes place is not for us just to say, hey, I've prayed. No, it's for us to take joy in what the Lord wants to give us. Preparation to make ready. As you begin to think about preparation, you begin to think about Scripture. Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Second Chronicles 7.14, we have referenced this verse many, many times. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We go about our days, and many of us, we go about our days, and we have things that we're planning to do, but one of the things that we fail to do is we fail to yearn for truly the Lord working in our lives. We treat every day as just, you know what, I wake up and let's see what happens. 
today I was outside for just a few moments, and as I was outside, it was quiet, and I was running through in my head, you know, the service and and, and preparing my, myself for the preaching and everything, and and just kind of rehearsing all of that in my own head of the scripture that I've been reading and trying to run through and make sure I had everything and didn't jumble anything in my head. And as I was standing there, my dogs were in the front yard. And as they were out there, I was just standing there for a few moments. And you could hear there, there wasn't any cars driving by. It was just silence. You hear a bird chirp every once in a while. It was just silence. I began to think about many times within our own lives, our lives are so loud that we miss that still small voice saying, I want to work in your life. I want to deal with you. Lord, I I want to prepare myself. Well, you've got to get the noise out of the way. Sometimes one of the greatest things we can do is when we're in a vehicle, don't turn on anything. Just sit in silence and spend some time with the Lord. When you go to bed, just sit there for a few moments and spend some time in prayer with the Lord and and allow him to prepare you and to deal with you. Those are some of the sweetest moments you'll ever experience. But the world is so loud and our lives are lived out in such a way where there is so much going on that we miss the Lord sometimes. Notice with me number two, not only the word priority, but we continue reading and he goes on and says this. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Notice with me, number two, posture. We are a prideful people. I believe we would all acknowledge that. How prideful we are, I, you know, only, only, sometimes we think that the most quiet people are the most humble. That's not always the case. Some of the quietest people I've ever met are some of the most prideful people I've ever met. What is it, what is it dealing with here? As you go on and you're reading in verse number 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. You begin to think about that posture there. As you go in that that subject matter of seeking the Lord, Nehemiah is seeking the Lord in the book of Nehemiah chapter number one. And as he is going to the Lord, one of the very first things that he does is he begins to weep. And as he gets down and he is getting in such a position where he is pleading with God and begging of God and he is confessing some sins. You were there a couple of weeks ago. He does not confess the sins of the people, but he says, we have sinned. And as we go home tonight and we begin to to, to pray and to seek the Lord, may we seek the Lord in a reverent way. You see, the Word of God deals with many postures in Scripture. Notice just a few of them. Lying down, it speaks of total unworthiness, needing the mercy of God. Rather, you're literally prostrate, prostrate on the ground, laying there, and you are saying, Lord, I need you and I need your mercy. Total unworthiness. Laying down. You see the words kneeling down in Scripture and what is taking place is recognizing the lordship and the humility and appealing to God. Bowing down speaks of reverence, speaks of worship, if you would. There are times in our own lives where we will not only just bow down, sometimes we'll lay there, we'll be pleading with God. But sometimes we just look up, and as we're looking up into the sky, we're looking up into the heavens, what we are doing is we are acknowledging where our hope is. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord, and it it speaks of a confident faith. It speaks of God's help. It speaks of fellowship with the Lord. As you are looking to the heavens, you are acknowledging, Lord, I need you, but I just want to acknowledge your faithfulness and where my confidence lies. You can't do anything. You see, if you've walked through the doors of the church this evening and you're thinking that any preacher is going to deliver just a a wow, 
You've come in expecting the wrong thing. Because every single day and every single opportunity the Word of God is preached, we don't need a preacher. We need the Word of the Lord to speak through the preacher. You see, there are many preachers who say a lot but don't say very much. We don't need that. We need the Lord. You think about not only looking up, you think about the stretching out of an arm. It speaks of a petition for God to work. And then how about this one? Leaping for joy. It speaks of rejoicing and blessings. It speaks of the simple truth that the eternal will always and is always going to be more important than the temporal. Because true joy does not come in the temporal things. Can I share with you, I know this to be 100% true in my own life because I am a Jeep guy if there ever was a Jeep guy. But I don't jump in that Jeep every day and think, wow, I got a Jeep. I, that happiness fades. It's just a vehicle. It gets me from point A to point B. But as I go throughout my days and I think on the things of God, that's where true joy comes. It doesn't get old. I want to keep talking about what the Lord did this past Sunday, and I want to keep talking about what the Lord has done in my own life. I want to keep talking about what the Lord has done this last year. I want to keep talking about how he is saving souls and all those things. Why? Because those are the things that truly matter. It does not matter that I jump in a vehicle or that I enjoy a certain meal or that I have this gadget or whatever. Those things fade. True joy comes from the Word of God and what God is doing in our lives. Those things don't fade. I'll be sitting there, and you say, oh, you've got a Jeep. Yeah, i got a Jeep. Uh, it's just whatever. But if you were to come up to me, and you were to ask me to tell my testimony of how I got saved, you'll see a smile on my face. It enters a lot of my messages. Why? Because I, I just don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over that. I want to remember what God did in my own life and what he has done time and time again. So you see the, the leaping of joy, the rejoicing on what God has done in your life. And so we ask this question, why is it that our posture oftentimes is something that has to be addressed? I'll tell you why. Because in Romans chapter number 12, verse number 2, the Word of God deals with this. And this is the struggle within every single one of us. And be not conformed to this world. That's why. You see, instead of laying down or bending down or kneeling down or bowing down or looking up or stretching out our arms or leaping for joy, oftentimes we walk around in such a way where we puff our chest out. We've got it all figured out or we walk around as though we don't need God and we don't need that. We'll figure out on our own. Our posture. It's as though it's a slap in the face of God. Lord, I don't need you. When I need you, I will come to you. And God says, that's exactly the problem right there. You don't realize that you do need me more than when you do. Oh, the times in our own lives where we think we've got it all figured out. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we need the Lord, but we're so conformed to this world. We do the things of the world. We partake of the world. We get involved in the things of this world. We enjoy the things of this world. And we're missing all that God has for us. In Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 33, he goes on to say, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That passage of Scripture was a passage of Scripture that forever changed my life. 
As a, a young man in Bible college, I went to Bible college knowing that I was called to preach and that the Lord wanted to use me in that capacity, but I had gotten so consumed with sports once again. All of a sudden, I am beginning to get frustrated playing basketball, and I was a freshman at the time, and I thought I should have been starting, and I was so frustrated and mad about it. Sat down at a, a table in the dorm after a basketball practice, and all of a sudden opened my Bible, and it landed in Matthew chapter number 6, verse 19. All of a sudden, the Lord started asking that, 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 that still small voice, where's your treasure at? What are you laying up? What are you focusing on? What are you seeking after? What are you pursuing? And all of a sudden, I began to make sure that my focus was not skewed. And I remember that being a pivotal time in my own life because as a freshman, I remember thinking the Lord had called me to preach and he had this to be the mission and this to be the goal and I was supposed to be studying. I mean, I was supposed to be doing all these things, but I had gotten sidetracked with all of these things that are not bad things. When they take preeminence over God, they become bad things. You see, one of the things we're seeing in our society is more and more that there are resources that are being called bad, but they're not bad resources. The source and how they handle the resource is what is bad. Facebook in and of itself is not evil, but the source behind the screen could be. The Word of God. Many people will say, well, the Word of God. Well, those other translations are not the Word of God. Where are you getting your source? That's not a resource. The Word of God that we're preaching from right this very moment, this is the resource. You see, and we're seeing that taking place in our nation, and there are so many things that are going on, and we're asking the wrong questions. And so we have to ask ourselves this evening, as Ezra says, Verse number 10 of chapter number 7, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. How is your posture this morning? As you approach the Word of God, are you coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I desire to deal with you and for you to deal with me? And you're bowing yourself down in reverence to the Lord. You're, you're lit, laying yourself down, understanding you are totally unworthy. You're needing the mercy of God, and you're petitioning to God as you raise your arm out. Lord, I need you to deal with me. And as you look to the heavens, recognizing your confidence comes from the Lord, not in yourself. Number three, we see this. Ezra goes on, the Bible says in those three words, and, four words rather, and to do it. We see priority, we see posture, we see performance. We're not talking about performance in the sense of us doing things to be seen. But we're talking about getting active about some things. It's one thing to talk about doing something for God. It's another thing to do something for God. There are a lot of Christians out there that have a lot of desire to live for the Lord, but they're not living for the Lord. There's a lot of Christians who talk a big game, but they truly don't come to the end of themselves and realize that it takes a lot of work. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It takes diligence. It takes a desire to see God do something and to actually do something. Think about Joshua for just a few moments. Joshua comes in onto the scene after Moses, and the Lord used Moses in a powerful way. And Joshua wants to be used. But go and read chapter number 1 of the book of Joshua, and you'll find that Joshua had some concerns. He had, he had some nervousness to him. And what does the Word of God go on to tell us? In chapter number 1 of the book of Joshua, the Bible tells us that the Lord said, As I was with Moses, I will be with thee. 
And so then you fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Joshua, and Joshua has been serving the Lord. Joshua has been doing those things that he needed to do. And he goes on to look at the people, and he says, Choose ye whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because he had recognized some things in his own life, and he had realized that there were some things that had to be done, and it meant for putting forth an effort. Over the next couple of months and year, there are some of you that are trying to accomplish some things. And if you were getting a, a sporting coach or if you were getting a life coach or if you were getting a, a health coach and they were telling you, hey, if you want to accomplish these goals, these are the things that you're going to have to do. And many Christians, we sit in the house of God on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday evening, on a Wednesday, in a revival meeting, in a missions conference, and we say, I want to do these things. And the Lord says very clearly in his word, well, this is how you have to go about it. And the truth of the matter is, until we become sold on this being our final authority, we will never do it. We'll correct some of it. We'll live faithfully on some days. But I don't want to be a Christian that has ordinary days here and there. I want to be a Christian that has extraordinary days, that just sells out to God, and God does something great with my life, not because I'm anything, because he is everything. I want to be able to end my life saying, Lord, I gave it all to you. And Ezra heard these things. He's preparing his heart for the Lord. He is desiring to see something and for the Lord to deal with him. And so he begins to make it a priority, and then he begins to make sure that he is seeking the Lord in the right manner, but not just to do those things or not just to say those things, but... To do something with it. Number four, we see this. He goes on and he says, and to teach. Can I share with you tonight that if you were to get a hold of truly who God is, you can't help but proclaim who he is. You get in the word of God, you'll find that he has a lot about him that you want to talk about. When I fell in love with Miss Kelly, I remember talking and just wanting to tell everybody about her. And I go back in my life, and there are things that I have fallen in love with, whether it was a short season, maybe it was a sport, or maybe it was a little gadget, and I just bought into that. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I have found to be true is when I got saved, the Lord changed my life, and I have, I have experienced it time and time again, and I have failed the Lord time and time again in my own life, but I just cannot get over the simple fact that he loves me. I just, I just love the Lord. I just love the Lord. I love seeing young people love the Lord. I love seeing a church get on fire for the Lord. I love seeing preachers being on fire for the Lord. I love seeing decisions being made. I love seeing what took place this past Sunday as people were lifting up their voices. I was looking at the choir and seeing them sing as I was looking at the people singing the specials and you just see the joy of the Lord. I love it. And as you walk out the doors of the church and people begin to talk to you and ask you things, you cannot help but just proclaim the goodness of God. You see, when the Lord changes your life, he changes it in such a way where you stop looking at people as what can I get out of them, but you just look to be a blessing to them. You just want to love people. Why? Because God loves you and God is love and he's pouring into you so you can pour into others. And you just want to proclaim it. You just want to talk about the goodness of God in your life. Today, we're driving from Jackson School, and I have, a, I have so much music on my phone. I, I mean, I, I listen to music all day, every day. 
from the moment that I get in my car and start driving at 6.30, 7 in the morning to take Jackson to school, all throughout the day until the evening when I'm sitting down on my couch, I've got music on. I just love music. And uh, there are times whenever we'll be in the vehicle, and I'm wanting my children to catch this. I want them to love music as much as I love music and understand what good music is. And today we were driving, and I was headed back from picking up Jackson, and I was listening to music, and I have probably listened to the same playlist over and over today, and I was driving so much today, I was like, you know what, I'm going to you know, listen to something different, and so I was picking some different songs and, and looking up some songs, and I'm always trying to find new music and all of that, and Jackson, there was a song playing, and I turned it off, and Jackson said, Dad, I like that song. Turn it back on. I was like, dude, I've listened to this song four or five times today. Can we please listen? He said, I, I haven't. I was like, okay. So I turned it on, and he's just belting it out in the back there. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood was the song. He's just sitting in the back, belting it out. And I was, I was convicted in that moment right there. Because this whole time I've been praying, Lord, I want my children to catch this desire and love good music. Neither of my son is loving some good music. And I'm saying, ah, let's, 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 let's go find a different good song right now. But he knows that song. And that's how the Christian life sometimes is lived. We plead with God to do something and change us and to mold us and to shape us. Only for God to desire to do that and him, for him to start that process. And then we say, Lord, now's not the time. Ezra, as you come to chapter number 7, verse number 10, helps us to understand the importance of the preparation process. It was a priority. He sought the Lord. He addressed his posture to seek the law of the Lord. And not just to hear those things. Look, you could come to the house of God, and look, I would, I would commend you for being faithful to all four meetings that are going to take place. But if you come and you sit in on the preaching on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Monday and Tuesday, and you walk out unchanged, and then it's not the Word of God's fault, and it's not the Lord's fault. It's our fault. We missed it. You say, I, was, I came to the meeting. Isn't that what you wanted? No, that's not what I wanted. I wanted you to come to the meeting, hear the Word of God, allow the Word of God to affect you, and to go out a changed person. Every single one of us. And so we begin to realize in this portion of Scripture that it was a priority for him to prepare his heart, to seek the Lord as he is dealing with his posture, to go and to do something about it, and to do it, but not just to keep it to yourself, but to proclaim it. I close with this tonight. I'm a creature of habit. I go to the same places even if it's inconvenient sometimes. Um, We drive past every single Wednesday and every single Sunday the same Publixes. We've got one over here off Trenton, and we've got one right next to our house. Sometimes it's easier to just stop in the one at Trenton, but I will drive all the way to the one over by our house just because I'm a a creature of habit. There's a gas station right next to our house, and the gas price is a lot higher than the gas price over here, but I'm a creature of habit. I stop at the same gas station. That's just, just what I do. But I have found that in stopping every single time in those same places, and those are about my second homes, both of those places, that my face has become very familiar to those people. Just the other day, there was a young lady who works at the cash register every single morning whenever I'm taking Jackson to school and we'll stop in there and uh, we'll typically I'll get something to drink on the road as I'm driving there and, and I'll stop in and so we were talking for just a few moments and 
We've, we've talked many times, and this was on a particular Sunday that we had stopped in there. I think it was Sunday afternoon, and I see her every morning. She was working on Sunday, though, and she made the statement, or the question, rather, she asked. She said, wow, you're dressed up. Why are you dressed up so nice? I said, well, I just got, I just got out of church, and, you know, we'll be going back here in a little while. And, and, uh, and so I said, we have Sunday morning services and Sunday evening. I said, I passed her over at Gateway Baptist Church, and she said, would you, would you pray for me? I said, Absolutely. I don't have a problem praying for you. It took me back to old Matt at that gas station. Chaos breaking out around you, and you're over there praying. And she said, would you pray for me? She said, I'm going through a rough time. I said, absolutely. Let's stop and pray right now. I said, we'll pray for you. So me and Kelly have prayed for her, and I've, I've prayed for this young lady, and I go in, and I stop at the gas station, and I see her all the time, and so I stopped in that Monday, and I said, hey, we prayed for you yesterday, and she just lit up, and I was realizing in that moment that there are so many people that I keep praying, Lord, stretch my reach. Lord, I want to reach more people, and the Lord is saying, you're not even reaching the people that are right in front of you. Can I share with you tonight, church, so many times in our own lives, we are pleading with God to do something within our lives to change us, to give us opportunities, and he's looking at us and saying, you won't even take me serious. You don't even believe that I could send revival to you. You don't even believe that I could answer the prayers that you keep getting frustrated that aren't answered because you don't offer those things in serious faith. And I wonder tonight, if you've come to the house of God and you've been praying for this meeting and you're saying we're having a revival meeting, look, it is just a meeting unless God meets with us. Can I encourage you? Don't approach it in such a way where you say, well, yeah, we have a special. No, we need God to meet with us. Let me ask you this question. I, I finish with this. What could God do in Clarksville, Tennessee, if Gateway Baptist Church truly experienced revival? where we didn't just talk to each other, but we started talking to others. We went into our neighborhoods and invited people. We went into the gas stations and begged people to come with us. When we went into the grocery stores and said, hey, be my guest. If we talked about how wonderful Jesus truly is, I've been convicted of that. I don't want to just talk about how wonderful this church is because this church, yes, it is wonderful, but it's not because of us. It's because of him. So let's start pointing people to him once again. We need him, and every single person outside the four walls of this church needs him. Let's do something about it. Seek the Lord, preparing our lives to see what God could do. Well, we do thank you, Lord. Tonight, we're asking that you would meet with us in a special way. Lord, we need you. Lord, we're pleading and asking you to do things and asking you to work, but Lord, we don't truly sometimes believe you can. That's just being honest. That's not just saying some words. Lord, I truly don't believe we do. Lord, I believe that there, right this very moment, in an auditorium this size with this many people here, I believe there could be a handful of people who truly believe that revival will never happen again. And so, Lord, I ask that you would revive us. Bring our sin to the forefront so we can address it. Lord, help us to fall back in love with you, with your word, and to do something with it. I pray that you would bless this time of invitation, draw us closer to you, and help us. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. 